Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order. Covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm. Available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? Hey, Joe. Hey, Matt. So we are here to talk about an episode that, interestingly enough, the DVD and Wikipedia have this episode listed as The Father Knows Best. But weirdly, Toonfind has it listed as The Test, which I don't I tried to see if there was any other thing. I'm assuming that that's just like an error. But The Test would also make sense for this episode since he's requesting a DNA test. So who knows? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, maybe at one point that was like a a name that they were thinking about and then changed their mind. One of the things I want to call out in this episode right out the gate, mm-hmm. it's very obvious. We've talked about this a million times. There, we, we cannot pretend that our podcast isn't at least in a small way inspired by the work of the Gilmore guys. Mm-hmm. And this episode specifically, I thought, man, we could really we could really use a pop goes the culture moment because... They are just name-dropping pop culture references in this episode, like every other line. Specifically, like, the very first line of dialogue is like, Ryan's like, did you stay up all night watching movies? And he's like, no, I just watched Darkman, Hellboy, and the first two Matrices, Matrices, Matrixes. How do you pluralize Matrix? And then we jump to Sandy... And then there's a bunch of jokes about the fact that Seth doesn't shower and we immediately jump to Sandy and Kirsten and Kirsten makes a comment about how much Seth stinks and Sandy's like, yeah, hey, well, it smells like teen spirit to me. And then she's like, well, he gave me some diatribe on, on the movie Hellboy. And I'm like, man, they are just like, that is like eight name drops in the first three minutes of this episode. <laughs> yeah. They were like, um, 
is like it, part of me was like did they get the paladinos to write part of this because <laughs> there's a lot of we get it it's a lot of pop culture references way more than normal i was cuz normally you know what it is it's that normally when they have like a pop culture reference anywhere in the dialogue it feels like really natural and this just felt like overwhelming how many things they were mentioning mm-hmm. In like rapid succession, you're right. If if I found out this was like guess written by Daniel Paladino, I would have been like, "Yep, definitely." Yeah, not shocking at all. Um, but the biggest thing that we get as a takeaway from this cold open is that Seth is legitimately going to try to find out if Summer and Zach had sex in San Diego, which is <laughs> such an uncomfortable fucking storyline, and. Sandy, on the other hand, I have been Team Sandy for most of this Rebecca situation. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I've been Team Nobody. This storyline sucks. But <laughs> yes, but Sandy is not helping himself one bit by declining Kirsten to join him to mourn the death of his mentor by being like, "Well, it's kind of a private mourning between myself and Rebecca." Yeah, it's like, just going to be the two of us. Yeah. So, like, why can't Kirsten come then at that point? Like, Rebecca knows that Kirsten knows she's around. Like, there's literally no reason that Kirsten shouldn't be included in this beyond dramatic storytelling. Like, I mean, like, he, he, they're doing a really good job of like painting Sandy to be as quote-unquote ethical legally ethical as possible right yes because it's like if you go then you're in the same room as her you know what i mean because he's trying to keep it as separate as possible so that way in the event that he it ever gets questioned or she ever gets questioned she's like well that's you know that's what made me probably the most angry at kirsten Mm. right is when the fbi or whoever comes by and sandy's like did you tell them that you know Rebecca's alive. And she was like, no. And he's essentially like, you should have, because like, I don't want you, you could get prosecuted by not telling them the truth. You've obstructed justice. (laughs) Yeah, you've obstructed justice. And she's like, she's like, you've already made your choice. And it's like, yeah, he's chosen you based on what he just said. (laughs) Like, like he's not asking you to repeat to protect Rebecca at all. He's essentially giving you free reign to say Mm -hmm. Rebecca's alive and she's hiding out in my husband's office. Yeah. He kind of like, it's kind of like he wanted her to do what he couldn't ethically do. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's actually within the bounds because you can't, if a lawyer knows that you committed a crime, they cannot, and if they're asked about it, you know what I mean? I don't know if that's a thing. Yeah, I we would need to have an actual lawyer on here. Yeah, if you're uh, a lawyer to, listening to this, let us know. <laughs> yeah, clear this up for us, please. Um, yeah, it's just so messy. Like, everything is messy with this particular episode, with everything. Um, but that's basically the, the long and short of it when it comes to their storyline is Julie Cooper, not Julie Cooper, uh, Kirsten is upset that Sandy and Rebecca are still doing their thing. Sandy keeps stressing that this is part of being a lawyer and like not being able to share the things that are happening. 
And that's kind of the basic gist of it. Um, Kirsten does confront Rebecca, which causes Rebecca to run. And Sandy gets very upset about that. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's kind of the extent of their screen time. We're really... The biggest thing that we're focused on in this episode is the Caleb Lindsay stuff. And that's why we're going to save that still. Because let's talk about Seth just not being subtle in the slightest trying to get information out of Zach, who is his friend. Like, like I feel like it's important to stress that he considers Zach his friend and is just handling things so horrible. It was so fucking cathartic for su- to watch Summer beat him with a pillow for a couple minutes in this episode. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, yes. But then the only thing that I had written in all caps was no summer you're better than this when she confesses to Marissa that she didn't want to sleep with Zach because she couldn't stop thinking about how much she loves Seth Cohen. And I was like, fucking why? (laughs) You have shown me no reason why these people are like fate and soulmates and all of these other phrases that get thrown towards these two characters who have next to nothing in common. Mm -hmm. The one is a fucking man child who is just the worst. He's the worst. He's not Marissa level, the worst, but he is still the worst. Yeah. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. And this episode does no favors at all. Like he's being a whiny bitch over a girl that he broke up with months ago that she may have maybe possibly moved on. Like it is such a frustrating storyline. Mm-hmm. Matt, see, this is like his whole storyline could have been the half of an episode. It did not need to be the whole B plot <laughs> of not one of this whole thing. Bit. Uh, because also what like bothers me the most about this is like the real thing that we should be focusing on is the fact that like you Seth Cohen had an opportunity to really make it as a comic book artist you know what i mean to really and you self sabotage that shit yeah for no reason but your own ego and like we're not focusing on the fact cuz like here's the thing if if that ever happened to me, if I was Zach and Summer in that moment, you best believe that I would not even be entered. I would be so livid about like losing. Oh, you'd be dead to me. Yeah. But, dead to me. But this is also like, you know, I hate to bring it back to the premise of the show, right? But like, it doesn't matter that like they're not going to make millions of dollars because they already are so well off, right? It's just, it's what. Um, the central conceit of the drama is the fact that like, no, did you fuck? (laughs) Did you fuck? And like, if I were him, like just take an edible and go to sleep and not fucking think about it. Like, yeah, I, I will say that the, one of my Seth highlights Mm -hmm. of this entire episode is when he decides that he needs to let Zach and summer just be Zach and summer. Mm -hmm. And he meets Zach at a diner. 
And I did write a note that just said, "Man, the burger Seth is eating looks fucking amazing right now. <laughs> it's like one of the it's one of the biggest burgers I've ever seen. It looks so good." Um, and this is when it's revealed to us that Zach was planning to save himself till marriage until Seth questioned him about their his sex life. And then he realized that he was foolish and that he loves Summer and that he is ready to lose his virginity. And in that conversation, I know we were joking around earlier that it's just pop culture reference after pop culture reference. But uh, I got really excited when there was a best week ever shout out in there. <laughs> Matt, of all the shows that need to be, of all the shows that we could resurrect like best week ever is the one best week ever and it's the and thing is it doesn't need it it is perfect for the moment right like it is perfect for it just lives on youtube or it just lives on whatever but like best week ever like i fucking love best week ever i wish it, it introduced me to michelle buteau like when I met Michelle Buteau a few years ago, uh, she was doing comedy in San Diego. I looked at her and I was like, panties off. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I just remember like living for best week ever. It was the first time that I knew what drag race was because they covered it all the time on. They covered that all the time. It, it was how ever. I discovered people like Doug Benson, Paul Shear, like all these people who are like comedy gods in my eyes yeah. now. Hal Sparks. No, God knows whatever happened truly with Hal Sparks, but yeah. he was all up on those I love thee and best week yeah. ever. Hal Sparks shows. and Mo Rocca. <laughs> Mo Rocca everywhere. Mo Rocca, media um, gadfly. <laughs> so what you can watch, and I've discovered some saint has uploaded all of them, is the I love the 80s and I love the 90s stuff is all on YouTube now. So you can rewatch those. Uh, um, Matt, please make this the pull thing. From, I will. Uh, just, we, we we'll see if we'll see if we have here, the me, uh, the power. Give me give me here. Give me thirty seconds right now. I'll off the cuff pitch it to to somebody right. and be like, ready? All right. Uh, I'll play. I'll play the role of the executive. Uh, hello, uh, Mr. Farron. I, I believe you're coming here with a pitch for us. Yes. So here's the thing. We are now living in a. We are now living in a society where millennials of my generation are the tastemakers. We are now in that kind of like sweet spot four quadrants. Like we understand that we are the tastemakers. We are the culture makers. We are the people in this, in those decisions. We want to see a show that reflects our tastes and our upbringing. That is why we need to have best week ever come back. There are uh, a new generation of young uh, comedians out there, cultural people that can do it. Imagine a best week ever where you have Z-Way from fucking Z-Way. You have uh, Nicole Byer. You're going to have, like, I- I'm naming queer comedians because I'm queer, so get over it. Hey, we need Lo- <laughs> Las Costaristas. Exactly. We get a yeah. Bowen Yang, we get a Matt Rogers, Mateo Lane. Um, you can get whatever, like, uh, whatever straight people that you want to, you know, to talk <laughs> about this, to talk about things. But like we need a best week ever to come back because it's perfect for the moment. Like if this if Quibi was still around, we could do it on a Quibi situation. But YouTube, we're perfect for it. Get the try guys. Come on, get the try guys to try something from the week. You know, we we need a best week ever now more than ever. Thank you for your time. Also, end the strike. Give them what they want. Well, here's it's what reality, I'm thinking. Honestly. So I'm sure that it's unscripted, right? 
you you've sold me on this, Joe. Here's what I'm thinking. This is my crazy brain, right? I'm thinking that once we get the Geekscape YouTube channel monetized, using all of the podcasters on the Geekscape network, maybe we can't do best week ever, but we could do best month ever. Yeah. Where we come up with all the hot topics of the month. Yeah, best and just fiscal like, quarter ask- ever. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, such a great show. Uh, let me tell a quick story. I believe this was technically for I Love Thee, but they're basically the same show. I saw Paul F. Tompkins perform live in Philadelphia, which is his hometown, and he told a story that I've never heard him tell anywhere else. So I feel like this was like a special for his Philly crowd story. But he talked about how he was filming Best Week Ever or whatever, and he's like, when we filmed that, he was like, it was literally like a giant, he's like, think of like a giant office, like with all these meeting rooms Mm -hmm. with like paper thin walls. And they had like different people in different rooms and they would like put a camera in front of us and just like rapid fire topics at us and record our jokes and our reactions or whatever to it. He goes, well, we're recording mine. And the next room over, Weird Al Yankovic was recording his. Yes. And he goes, and Weird Al kept yelling and his voice was loud enough that it would carry through this paper thin wall and we'd have to like pause my take and someone was like, hey, we just got to go over there and tell Al that he has to be a little bit more quiet because um, he's ruining the shots over here. And Paul F. Tompkins was like, Al's a friend of mine. I'll go do it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so I walk over and I'm like, I'm going to do it as a bit. So he's like, I knock on the door and I'm just like, and they open up the door and I go, oh, weird. We're trying to record next door and you're too loud. Be quiet. And he's like, and Al Yankovic's like, Oh my God! I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. I'll I'll, I'll try to try to be calm here. And he's like, "Yes, you better." And he's like, "And I walk into the other room and I'm recording." And Al says something where he's really loud, and they're like, "Oh, we gotta tell him to be quiet again." And he's like, "I'll keep doing the bit." So he's like, "I go back over and I'm just like, oh, weird! Why won't you listen to us?" And he's like, "And Al's not playing along with the bit." And that's when I remembered I'm not friends with Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> I'm just a fan of Weird Al Yankovic, and I feel like I'm friends with him. So I'm doing a bit that I would do with my friends. To a stranger who just thinks wow. that I'm an asshole. <laughs> like, and that is the first impression he made to Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> um, um, all right. So all of that to say, we, dear listener, and this may not make it into the show. We'll see. But all of that to say that if you start doing a bit with us, we'll just do the We'll just we'll keep we'll, it going. We'll keep, we'll keep it going. You and I have not taken improv classes, but we understand the art of a yes and. Yes, and. Um, (laughs) So I think that's all we have to say about Seth. There's only one other story arc that we need to get into before we jump into the main story of this episode, and that's the Marissa Alex stuff. It's basically just Marissa is afraid to be a lesbian, is (laughs) what this whole episode is. She... She won't tell she won't tell Summer about Alex. She shows up at the party and the second she sees that there's other lesbians at the party, she's just like it's a real like Forrest Gump like sorry to ruin your Black Panther party. Like she's yeah. just like, "Oh, I've got to go actually." And she just like disappears. Um and that's like mm-hmm. kind of it. It's like three scenes this episode. So, okay, here's so here's the thing. That is totally a valid and true experience of like 
queerness that I relate to. Like, I remember being not fully out yet and still coming to terms with my own sexuality and then seeing people who were very comfortable with theirs and being terrified. So, like, I, I appreciate... From as a queer person of as a as a person of lived experience with queerness, I appreciate that because it's so true. It's just like oh my god, the it you react one of two ways. You react either you are so relieved and overjoyed and can't wait to jump in, or you're terrified because that is something that is so you're you're afraid of what that means. You're afraid of what that means. And that was me for a very long... We're getting really real right here. (laughs) It's me for a very long time was, oh, no, I can't be associated because, like, once I've crossed this line, you know, let, like, but, you know, fully also, like, lusting after men. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, no, I can't, I can't cross the line hanging out with these homosexuals. And then, so I appreciate that from that perspective. However, like... It's also disingenuous because I know that they're not gay. Like, <laughs> I know Marissa's not. I know Misha Barton's not gay. I know Olivia Wilde's definitely not gay. And it's so, like, we'll talk about it when we talk about the next episode. <laughs> but Yeah, but they're playing queer dress yeah. up right now is exactly. basically all that's happening. Exactly. Now we get to the Caleb wants to legally adopt Lindsay. Mm-hmm. But Julie Cooper is insistent <laughs> That there must be a paternity test. Yes. Caleb had my <laughs> favorite I, line, which is like, could you be more transparent? <laughs> yeah. I wrote down, I will be miserable if this paternity test says that Lindsay isn't his daughter. Like, it's just everything about this storyline is so icky. And then when Julie Cooper shows up and basically like, harasses Renee Mm -hmm. about the paternity test. I'm like, again, I fucking hate this woman. Mm -hmm. Like, like I don't, I don't like Julie Cooper. I don't see how I'm supposed to like Julie Cooper. Maybe all will be revealed. She had, look, I get it. Her instincts were kind of right, which was where I wrote in all caps. Are you fucking kidding me with this bullshit? When Renee sits down with Ryan and it's like, I could be wrong. And like, that would destroy like, I could understand if she was like, I don't want Lindsay to, like, Lindsay will be distraught. Like, I, I just, you didn't need to even put it into question in my mind. It's like, as her mother be like, I know that Caleb is the father, but Lindsay will not handle this well if mm-hmm. she is forced to take a paternity test by her father. Like, <laughs> it's just, and that's like the part that does happen that makes sense. When Lin- yeah. when Caleb's like, I need you to take a paternity test, and she like says like, I know you're not my dad because my father wouldn't make me do this. Like, that's a great moment and a great line, and that's mm-hmm. all you fucking needed. You didn't need to throw any of this like, nonsensical questioning that does nothing but paint everybody poorly yeah. in one single stroke. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So <laughs> the this this is why I fucking love Julie Cooper. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I love her so much because like to my recollection and I don't know like if I'm going to be proven wrong in the next few episodes or just in general. Right. But to my best of my recollection in the rewatches that I've done, there's never any like 
everyone is kind of waiting for Julie Cooper to have the Meredith moment from Parent Trap, the Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap, where she's like very obviously like, we're going to send them to boarding school and it'll be all my, like, we're, everyone's waiting for the moment where she's just going to say the like, you know, I am a gold, like the line that's going to make it apparent that she's a gold digger, right? Yeah. So like, yes, we are meant to believe Julie Cooper like it's just a like <laughs> when Caleb was like you were in Nice <laughs> like you were at a spa in Nice and I was like yeah. having a heart attack and this girl was here for me but and she's not wrong right yeah she is not wrong like Caleb how have you been paying what can I what I can only presume is thousands of dollars over the course of maybe millions over the course of 16 years and not ask for proof yeah like come on and 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 again i guess it's just it's just beautiful because it's like she's right she is caleb and that's and that's the thing too that caleb for as shrewd as he is he knows that julie is right fair i'll tell you someone else who doesn't get painted in a good light in this storyline Lindsay. The way Lindsay is acting in this episode is so infuriating, and it's infuriating for two reasons. It's infuriating if you were in this actual situation dealing with this, like with this person kind mm-hmm. of just snapping at you at the drop of a hat if you even slightly like disagreed with something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's also infuriating because it feels so disingenuous to everything that you've taught us about Lindsay for all of the episodes leading up to this moment. Mm-hmm. Like, Lindsay from the second we meet her is like the only person she loves and trusts is her mother. So to, to like suddenly flip and reverse this, that the second that her mom's like, I don't know if you should do this thing that she is not taking any of that advice at all. Sincerely just does not fucking compute to me. That is not who Lindsay is as the character that you've painted for us. But all of the, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm defending the show. Because <laughs> like, you're because you are right, right? Okay, I'm you know I I love a non-binary answer. You are correct, Matt. Yeah. It is against her character, and it is also like narratively and story-wise, this is something that she has wanted for so long that. It makes, to me, it does make sense that she is now acting outside of character because when you're so close to something that you've desired, you can, your your better angels, your reason kind of goes out the window. Um, also, it kind of, also, because she's such a monster, I'm like, she reminds me of Haley. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I'm like, oh, yeah, she definitely is a nickel. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Um, but all in all, I mean, this was not my favorite episode by any stretch of the imagination, but I wasn't as miserable as I was uh, over the last couple weeks. Hi, friends. The world got you down. Don't be sad. Listen to $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. $2 Late Fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment, the 1980s. We pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today. We also interview your favorite celebrities from that era. 
all in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Check us out at $2LateFee.com. Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order, covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of Tacky and White and Nerdy, and everything in between. As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? We're making an ad. Napping ads. I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. (laughs) So um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. Things were fine with this episode, uh, and including things that I felt kind of mediocre towards the music in this episode. Uh, so, Tune Find listed more songs than I remember hearing, which okay. I don't know. I don't know if that became a rights thing or not. Um, and the reason why I say that is that it lists a song that I know very well. And I have no recollection of hearing that song, which would have been a like my ears perked up type song if I had heard it. Sure. Um, so the songs that they had listed, the Sam Roberts band, No Sleep. This is a song that plays when Seth awkwardly tries to find out if Zach had sex with Summer. Mm-hmm. Um, Viva Vice, lesson number one, uh, is supposedly playing when Alex talks to Marissa in the bait shop. Sunday Runners... Memories Left at Sea uh, plays when Marissa and Summer are having a talk in the bedroom when she gets the phone call about Seth. Mm-hmm. This is a song that I love that I did not hear. Kings of Convenience Misread is supposedly played at the very beginning of the party when Lindsay and Kirsten are talking before Caleb comes over. And then uh, Stars Your Ex-Lover is Dead plays when Seth talks to Summer about how he's over her now. Um, None of these really left an imprint. In fact, the only song that I distinctly remember hearing was the first one, Sam Roberts' band, No Sleep. Uh, Had a cool little synth keyboard part to kick off the uh, walking into the cafe to talk. So that was my pick for the song of the episode, but I was curious if you had a different pick for this one. Um, It was also, like, so we watched it, I watched it chronologically, right? And so, like, the next episode is so filled with songs completely wiped away and i watched it right afterwards so i'm gonna go with you but the truest answer to be completely transparent is that i remember nothing yeah so 
is another California Phantom Planet. It, yes, California <laughs> Phantom Planet. I, what I want to ask you, though, is when you watched this, was it the streaming? Did you watch it streaming? I watched the DVD for the first time. Okay. Uh, so so quick, uh, quick behind the scenes, um, the house that I live in used to belong to my sister. And she left her entertainment center down here because it was de- definitely too big to ever move out of the basement. The only way it could be moved out of the basement was to literally dismantle it. Um, and I guess she left a bunch of DVDs in her shelving unit and I happened to open it up. And I've talked about this, I think, in a previous episode that I found season four of the OC in the shelving unit. Uh, so I finally was like, let me clean out that shelving unit, mostly because I had video editing work I had to do downstairs, which doesn't get HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Um and as I was cleaning it out, I'm like, oh, sweet. She has all four seasons. I'll just put on the DVDs for today mm-hmm. so that I can keep getting this video finished while I'm while I'm watching it. Because um, it was a video that I didn't need the audio for. It was just needing to like sure. click and drag some some stock footage over top of other footage. Uh, so it was like an easy, like, can edit while mute it and like pay attention sure. type thing. Um so I don't know. Maybe they didn't get as many clearances on the DVDs, but these are pretty small potato songs compared to the much more famous songs in next week's episode that definitely were all included. <laughs> so who knows? And speaking about song clearances, DVDs, and a bunch of other stuff that mm-hmm. led to striking in uh, the late 2000s, uh, here in 2023, we're still on strike which means that while we are about to sit here and talk about pop culture stuff that we care about, and maybe some of those things are recent TV shows and movies, we want to make sure that it is very clear that we stand with SAG and the Writers Guild and that they deserve to get paid what they should. Fair uh, contract so, now. Yes. So, Joe, what is something that you've been indulging in, enjoying, that uh, you feel like you want to give a quick shout-out Well, to? it's definitely not a fucking book. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you that. Um, so I decided to uh, re- I decided to start from the beginning a uh, rewatch um, rewatch because I haven't watched it since I since it was live of the uh, USA Network TV show Suits. Oh, yeah. How's that? <laughs> well, it, I didn't realize that Suits like premiered in 2011, which seems like a lifetime ago. I could, like that was the well. So, yeah. so I I want to point out just because we did talk about the strike, Suits is a huge thing that is being discussed about with the reason why these contracts need to be updated because the attitude from Netflix is. Well, we pay you X amount of dollars for your thing as a one-time payment to have on our pro- uh, on our streaming site or whatever, because it will only be valuable for that first couple weeks anyway, and then it will be diminishing returns. That being said, right now, Suits has been predominantly in their top 10 TV shows for months now, and that is a show that none of the writers or actors have seen a penny of while it's been the most downloaded and streamed show on their their app. So I actually think it's great that you're mentioning Suits because it is highlighting part of the problem. Netflix, fix your fucking contracts and pay the actors and writers of Suits that are keeping your, your literal site alive right now 
because ain't nobody watching Love is Blind after the altar this season because it's garbage. Are you do you think that they did that as a troll? <laughs> as like a we're gonna release suits and y'all gonna fucking hate it. <laughs> yeah. I mean I guess that's the best like I don't know, everything's so broken and messy. It's so weird. I don't like it. Well, the reason why I'm so I'm loving it because I remember how it's bringing me back to the world. It's so fascinating how even this was like just over 10 years ago, like it, the first premiered, like so much has changed. Um, blackberries are still a thing. Like everyone has a blackberry, which like that will be, that will go by the, I'm so curious as to when we start to get to like later seasons of suits, how the phone, how the tech's going to change a little bit. Um, the idea that like it's such a big deal that um, Mike Ross, who is the guy who didn't go to Harvard, how he like is a pothead, like that's such a big thing. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> this is they make it such a big deal. But it's also interesting how like Netflix, which just did like they released those like Harry and Meghan documentaries, you know, last year, earlier this year. And, like, they had the audacity to also release su- Suits as well, which, like, you know, she's great in. Um, and I, uh, Meghan Markle, uh, the Duchess of Sussex, is great in. But, like, it's just fascinating how the kind of all the layers. And so when we're talking about the legality of, like, uh, not implicating uh, obstructing justice and not implicating Kirsten. I'm so in the world of suits right now that I'm like, ugh, legalese. Could I have been a lawyer? So that is what I'm currently obsessed with. I've made it to, I've, I know that I've made it to a certain point and I just can't remember anything in between, but I'm in season two right now, almost at the end as of recording this and I'm having, it's, it's been delightful. So would you recommend it for someone who's never seen a single second of it? If you like the first episode, you should like what I recommend for you specifically. And I know that you have a very you have a very hefty media diet. Um, yeah, I would watch the first episode, and if you hate the first episode or it doesn't capture you, then don't watch it. All right, and makes sense because you're gonna keep the question that. Your the, the the question that may <laughs> that you may have for yourself is so the premise is that like Mike Ross has an eidetic memory, a photographic memory, and so he can like he has taken the LSATs for other people. He's like a scam artist in that way, and he ends up getting he impresses one of the partners at this corporate law firm that so much that he. Uh, like gets has to fake basically being a Harvard graduate because uh, this law firm only recruits Harvard uh, Harvard lawyers, and so if you if in watching the first episode you can believe that they're going to sustain this lie for seasons upon seasons, and you just want to watch how, I would continue. All right, all right, makes sense for me. So I'm going to throw out uh, a a newer show. On mm-hmm. on Apple TV, well, newer in comparison to Suits, mm-hmm. on on Apple TV, uh, the first season I think was a masterpiece, and I hope that we get a second one. But who knows? Because again, with the strikes, any show could be on the chopping block. Uh, 
Shrinking uh, with mm. Jason with Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford. Um, I remember reading an article that essentially said like Ted Lasso is a Jason Sudeikis show that is honed through the lens of a Bill Lawrence show while Shrinking is undeniably a Bill Lawrence show. Like mm-hmm. it hits all of the tropes of a Bill Lawrence show. I'm not sure if you've watched Shrinking uh, or not, but no, it's very- No, my sister loves it. It's very, um, it, it's very Scrubs, but with psychiatrists. Like it's the young, the young, uh, kind of emotionally damaged main character seeking the approval of the gruff older psychiatrist and the different ways that they handle the patients and that like neither one of them is particularly wrong quote unquote but also like they are um so the the very quick overview is Jason Siegel plays a guy who is a psychiatrist whose wife dies unexpectedly um and it causes him to go into a spiral uh, but he suddenly has this epiphany that he thinks that if he treats his patients like his friends, that he'll be more effective at fixing them. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, he's right. Mm-hmm. But as you watch the show, it becomes very clear that there's a reason why this is not a thing that psychiatrists should do. Um, and that is like the quick pitch on it. And it starts off very, very funny. It hits great dramatic beats and it it is a jaw-dropping finale. Um and it's great. And I hope that we get uh I hope we get more of it. Uh but something that you know what, I'm I'm gonna be shitty about it. I actually hope we get more white people problems next week because this wasn't a terrible watch. It's like it's almost as if all of the shit that we had to suffer through, we're getting paid off for. Almost. We were, we've been good, and now we're being rewarded. Yay, rewards. We are the subs for this show. friends the world got you down don't be sad listen to two dollar late fee with zach and dustin two dollar late fee is the podcast that celebrates the best decade of entertainment the 1980s we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it holds up today we also interview your favorite celebrities from that era all in the spirit of positivity and togetherness check us out at two dollar Put down that smartphone and listen to me. I'm Matthew Milligan, professional musician and lifelong Weird Al fan. Each week, I'm joined by professional podcaster and close personal friend Matt Kelly to take a dive off the deep end into the vast career of pop culture icon Weird Al Yankovic on our show, Weird Algorithm. Along with some very special guests from the worlds of music and comedy, we tackle every song, every television appearance, and every bit of sketch comedy Al has produced in chronological order. Covering the good old days of My Bologna and Eat It, the fun zone of tacky and white and nerdy, and everything in between. 
As we go, we're ranking the songs, albums, and music videos in the hopes of creating the ultimate guide to a career bigger than the biggest ball of twine in Minnesota. So the next time you're having one of those days stuck in a traffic jam wondering why does this always happen to me, just kick off your sneakers and stick around for a while because we've got it all on Weird Algorithm, available wherever you get your podcasts. And now you know. Was that enough references? You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 